0: about Christmas. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand. How many of you, raise your hand, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Go ahead, raise your hand. All right, how many of you hate the people that have their hands raised, right? (laughs) Let's just be real here. Um, Let me ask you this. How many of you have a gift that you're really excited to give this year? You've got something you're like, I cannot wait for this one. My wife's hand wasn't raised. I was kind of waiting to see that. Uh, How many of you Went shopping this year to buy something for someone else, and you ended up buying something for yourself, yeah? There's probably a few of us in here. This row right here, there's something going on in that row, and uh, how, many of you have a, how many of you have ever re-gifted a Christmas gift in the same, in the same Christmas season? You got to be really careful doing that, Right? You know, as we come to Christmas time, we start thinking about gifts, and I love thinking about gifts. I told you last week my love language is gifts. Uh, but when we come to church, I love Christmas time because we get to start talking about God's great gift to us. Uh, in fact, this Christmas season, we're going to be looking at a series called "Hope Has a Name," uh, based off one of the most famous prophecies about the coming Messiah, about Jesus, in uh, Isaiah chapter nine. Uh, that verse, chapter nine, verse six says, "For." Uh, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And here's going to be what we're going to be looking at this December, these terms. And it says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's going to be our our series that we're going to be looking at this month. Those four terms that God has given us to understand who the Messiah is. One of the things I think is important for us to understand about the context of this prophecy is this prophecy wasn't given uh, in the context of Christmas time. This prophecy uh, was given around uh, 730 .BC, and it was spoken into a very difficult season for the life of, of Israel. Um, uh, you, you can read through that story in chapter uh, Isaiah seven and eight. But you've got King Ahaz, who, who's king over Jerusalem. He's king of God's people, and, and he is getting nervous because he hears that there's these two other kings that are creating an alliance to attack Jerusalem, and he's getting a little bit nervous. And so he's like, what am I going to do? And again, if you've got an enemy coming against you, what do you start thinking about? You're thinking about, well, I've got to call the big, strong guys, right? I'll call Kevin and a few other guys, you know? And so King Ahaz is beginning to think about creating an alliance with, with Assyria. He's like, if they're going to attack me, they're they're preparing, I'm going to create this alliance. And this is when God sends the prophet Isaiah. God sends Isaiah uh, to King Ahaz, and Isaiah says, hey, dude, dude, uh, you need to trust God. God's got you. He says, God's got you. You don't have to trust Assyria. God has your back. He even says, imagine if the prophet says to you, God's going to give you a sign to show and prove to you that God's got your back. That sounds like a pretty good deal. But King Ahaz, who's probably got some similarities to most of us in this room, he's not quite interested because he would, rather trust, he would rather not trust the invisible God because it's easier to trust in flesh and blood of Assyria. And before we judge King Ahaz for making that decision, how many times have we put our faith and our trust in our own strength and in our own abilities, We don't have to depend on God because we have the ability to depend on our own strength and our own wealth and our own wisdom and our own power and our own knowledge and our own abilities rather than depending on God. And so here's King Ahaz saying, you know, I don't know if I want to have that sign because I'd rather fall on what feels more safe by trusting Assyria. And Isaiah says, hey, King Ahaz, you are trying God's patience that may be a message for some of us in here today is we are trying God's patience because we aren't relying on him, we're relying on ourselves. Isaiah says you're trying God's patience, and he gives a prophecy in, in Isaiah seven fourteen. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And that is the first of these Old Testament prophecies, and then you see another one in our text today, chapter 9, verse 6, that says a child shall be born, a son will be given, the government shall be on his shoulders, and you shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I want to just pause right here because, honestly, some of you, like you hear that prophecy and you're like, woohoo yeah, God wins, woohoo everything's wonderful. And that's some of you, and I love you, I love your optimism, I probably lean more that way. But there are some of you in here, and you hear this and you're like, um... How does a baby who's going to be born in 700 years, how does that help King Ahaz, right? King Ahaz, he's got like an army building outside of the city. They're getting ready to come in and destroy. And some of you are saying, well, that's wonderful that there's this promise for 700 years later. But, but how does that help King Ahaz right here in right now? In fact, there are some people that would say that this is the problem with faith. That this is the problem with the Bible. That this is the problem with Christianity. Because it doesn't address real people in real situations. And so sometimes even we come into the Christmas season and it's full of joy and happiness. And for some, Christmas becomes really hard. Because sure, we've got these nostalgic stories about Jesus and the manger. And we hear about this peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But in reality, man, some of us, we've got marriages that are falling apart. Reality, some of us lost a job and have no economic ability to provide for our families this season. Some of us are dealing with this this chronic pain that we can't get rid of, we've had for years. Some of us uh, are looking forward to the family gathering coming up, and it reminds us that our family is a great candidate for the Jerry Springer show, right? (laughs) Listen, listen, perhaps they're saying the same things about you. Let me just throw that out, right? This is interesting because depression and suicide are higher during the holidays than any other season. And yet we begin to say, well, why is that? Why is that? Because Christmas is all about joy and happiness and all these good things. And sometimes it feels like our Christmas is kind of like one of those Hallmark Christmas movies, right? Where you've got the girl in the big city who, who, who moves back to the small town to, to, to save the parents' company and, and buy Miracle of a God, there's a most wealthy, uh, most attractive guy in the entire town who happens to still be single, and of course they fall in love and get married on Christmas and it's a happily ever after story, right? Those stories are cute, and I know some of you watch them, (laughs) but they're not overly realistic. And some of us are sitting here like Ahaz and we're like, hey, you know what? That's great that there's this baby coming in 700 years, but I've got real problems right now. I've got an army sitting outside. I've got a family that's falling apart. I've got kids that are going off the deep, and I've got a marriage that is struggling. What does this promise of this future Messiah do for me right here and right now? And I think there's two answers. There's two answers as to how that promise of the Messiah encourages us here and now in our problems. Number one, In sending Jesus, God was dealing with the root of our earthly problems. In sending Jesus, God was dealing with the root of our earthly problems. Because our problems are deeper than just having an enemy gathering against us outside. Our problem is deeper than health issues and relational conflict and economic needs. Our problems are much deeper than that. The root of all of our problems is a separation from God. That all earthly problems, they are, 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 are the rooted in this issue, a separation from God. Because listen, if God were to come in and, and to take your problem away, we would probably create new problems in the same way. We just create new problems. It is what we do. In fact, uh, J.R. Tolkien, who's the author of Lord of the Rings, he said this. He said, evil is a shapeshifter. You defeat it, and like a shadow, it takes on another shape, and it grows all over again right? We can solve the problem in front of us until we just create a new problem, right? Think about technology. Think about in your pocket right now, you have this device that is amazing and wonderful, right? Everything you can do in it, it solves so many problems. I mean, on your phone, you can have instant access to your bank account. Some of you, you can monitor what's happening at your house. Oh, and by the way, it also increases your ability to uh, uh, to have identity theft or uh, cyber attacks, right? Oh, well, well if I've got, this, I've got this thing here, I can stay close to my family and friends and we'll always be, be communicating and talking until the addiction to your phone keeps you completely distracted from your family and friends, right? See, better technology can solve a lot of problems, but it cannot address the darkness within our heart. It cannot deal with the root issue. And God is saying in the middle of Ahaz, wondering, man, what's going to happen here? God's saying, listen, this promised Messiah is going to deal with the root issue and ultimately save people from their sin and transform their hearts. This is where when we cry out and we say, God, God, I've got bad health. Would you deliver me from bad health? God is wants to deliver us from the curse of death that causes bad health in the first place. And we we cry out and we we plead and say, God, God, would you deliver me from injustice? Would, would Would you heal my broken relationships? And God's saying, I want to deliver you from the sin and selfishness that breaks up those relationships in the first place. And we cry out and say, God, God, would you give me victory over my enemies? And God is saying, listen, I want to give you a promised Messiah who takes away the hatred that makes us enemies in the first place. God doesn't want to just solve the issue. He wants to get to the root and and, and solve the core of the issue. The first way the promise of Messiah encourages us is he deals with our root issue. But the second way, the second way that this idea of this promised Messiah helps us in our problems here and now is it comes from those four relational names that Isaiah spoke about. Because now God is going to become a personal God through the Messiah. That's what Isaiah nine six is all about. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we're going to look at that first term, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Two words that we have to understand. Number one is, is is wonder. Now we use this word wonder all all the time, right? How many of you watched the movie already? It's a Wonderful Life. You've seen it this year. How many of you uh, have sang that song? It's the most wonderful time of the year. I just sang. I promise I would never do that. I am so sorry for you folks. We use the word wonder and wonderful all the time, but we have to expand our understanding and definition of what that word wonder really means. Because in the Old Testament, that word wonderful is used in a different way. It doesn't refer to something just being awesome. It refers to something being supernatural. Something miraculous, something out of this world, something otherworldly, something that we can't grasp in our own understanding. This is where in Psalm 78, in Psalm 78 recounts uh, that and says, God has performed wonders. And then he recounts in Psalm 78 how God parts the Red Sea and how how Moses led Israel across on dry land. Again, this idea is, is this wonderful counselor is out of this world. It's nothing that we can understand. It's miraculous. It's God in the flesh. That second term, counselor. What comes to your mind when we say the word counselor? God, yeah. It could be for some of us. It's us sitting on a couch. And some guy in a chair with a notepad writing weird notes, and you're like, What are they writing on that? Can I see those? For some of us, we picture a friend who we can call and they're gonna listen to us. But this idea, counselor, here refers to somebody who advises and instructs and guides, and we would expect that. But we wouldn't expect this uh, one who advises, instructs, and guides, but includes the idea from a position of authority. It's not just somebody who gives you advice, but somebody who comes from a position of authority, which means that the counselor is not like your friend who you call late at night to complain about all your problems, and your friend's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I hate him too. Ha <laughs> No, the wonderful counselor not only has the wisdom to speak into the situation, but also has the power to enable a transformation, to enable a change, to bring about the solution. Now, the counselor not only speaks into the situation and gives you advice, but also has the ability to bring about the solution in the first place. He doesn't just tell you what to do, but he has a, the power to actually fix the problem. For example, think about it like this. How many times in your relationship, maybe think about your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever happens to be, how many times do you want to go and complain to other people about that person? Oh, well, let me tell you what my spouse, what my wife did. Oh, she did this, she did that. And we spend all this time bickering and complaining and gossiping about our spouse to somebody else instead of actually going and talking to the one person who has the ability to change the situation. So we go, we we talk about our spouse instead of actually going and talking to our spouse who's the one who actually has the ability to address the situation. See how that that plays out? This is the wonderful counselor that if you have struggles and problems and issues that God is available to walk with you and not just listen and agree and comfort with you but he actually has the ability to bring about change in your life. Begin to say, well, Okay, if that's who the wonderful counselor is, like what, uh, why can I, why, why can he help me in my difficulty? Why can I trust him to meet me where I'm at and to walk through the difficult problems? The writer of Hebrews chapter 4 says this, gives us the answer. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet was without sin. Then, with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find help in our time of need. Because Jesus is not just a king who rules over us, but Jesus is a a brother who lived like we do, who walked through the things that you and I walked through in life. There is nothing, there is nothing that you can experience in this life that Jesus has not also experienced. Say, well, (laughs) You don't know my family. I've got a messed up family. I've got a broken family. Man, Jesus, he was born to a single teenage mom, raised by a stepdad. He was hated and rejected by his siblings. You think you know a broken family? Well, you know, what about poverty? Well, here's Jesus. He was born where? In a manger. In a manger, not even a hotel. Not even, not even a hospital, in a, in a manger, and he was wrapped in rags. Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus was homeless. He had nowhere to place to lay his head. I think Jesus understands poverty. Well, what about rejection? You know, what about the difficult relationships and the rejection that I face? Well, here's what I see. Jesus, in his greatest time of need, where did his, where did his friends go? Oh, yeah, they all ran off. They deserted him. His closest friend, Peter, denied him three times. He suffered uh, gossip and slander and public shaming. Yeah, I think Jesus understands a little bit about rejection. Well, we get to this time and some of us are, are struggling with death. We have someone who we loved, who's no longer with us, and there's this grieving process, there's this weight we feel. Man, I think Jesus can understand that as well. There was people that Jesus loved and cared for who died, and he grieved over them. He grieved over them. Well, what about, about, like, these temptations I have? I have these temptations to cheat and and take the easy way out. Listen, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, remember what he prayed? He prayed and said, God, is there another way? If there's an easier way, God, I'll take the easier way out. In fact, Jesus, we sing this song, he could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him. But he didn't. Our wonderful counselor sympathizes with us because he underst- understands what we go through. And not just understands, he has a power to, to fix what's gone wrong. That is who the wonderful counselor is. And another thing I love about this is, is not just that Jesus can sympathize with us, uh, but because he sympathizes and because he is tempted like we are, which means nothing, is, nothing can surprise him. Nothing we do can surprise him. Because of that, that there's this promise that his presence will be with us in the middle of our problems. Doesn't that take on so much more comfort? That he's promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, isn't that the greatest discovery in life? It's not just a problem to a solution, but that you have someone who's going to walk with you and you will not be alone. I mean, have you ever gone through, you ever seen someone go through a difficult situation? And if they've got people with them, man, I I can make it through it. But the moment that person begins to feel alone, all hope is lost. Because it's a matter of, of, of we, we, we long for that presence. We long for someone to walk through the difficult things with us. This is what Jesus is for us. This is what that promise means. This is what's wonderful about the wonderful counselor, is he will never leave us nor forsake us. Listen, you might have, you might have the bestest friend. You may have a spouse, a counselor, you can always call on. But at some point, that person is going to disappoint you. At some point, the person's not going to be available. They're going to let you down. And this is where we need to understand about the wonderful counselor. That he sympathizes with us, he understands, and he's given us this promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you in the middle of it all. Psalm 23 the famous psalm says the wonderful counselor is my shepherd I shall not want he leads me beside still waters leads me to lie down beside uh, in green pastures he restores my soul that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil why because the wonderful counselor is with me his rod and his staff, they comfort me. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the wonderful counselor. That is who he is. You know what else I love about this? The rowdy is if we understand this about who he is, we understand that he is a wonderful counselor, this means that Jesus came for people with problems, Right? I mean, think about this. Think about as you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, every miracle that Jesus ever did, it always starts with a problem. Every miracle Jesus did always starts. Jesus wasn't doing miracles like magic tricks, like, hey guys, watch this. Woohoo, look what I can do. Every miracle started with a problem. It started with with, with hunger or poverty or disease or brokenness or death. So here's here's the good news. Here's the good news for us this weekend. If you've got a problem, man, you're a candidate for a miracle. Like if you've got a difficulty in life, you are a candidate for God to do a miracle. That Jesus, a wonderful counselor, he came for people like us, he came for people with problems. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. He didn't come to reward the righteous, he came to save the sinner. So with that, I want to give you just three simple things on, and if you're going to experience the help of the wonderful counselor, three three ways that we are to approach the wonderful counselor. Number one, when we approach him, we have to be completely honest with him, right? I mean, every counselor would say, until you can be completely honest with your problems, I can't really help you. Until you are willing to be honest, you can't really get help. And we have this tendency to assume the best about ourselves, do we not? We like to, to just, well, well, I'm better than I really am. Maybe, maybe there's this shame that we're embarrassed to acknowledge that we've got some brokenness. Uh, maybe maybe we're, 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 we're faking it to keep up with appearances. Maybe we're afraid to ask for help. But we have this tendency to hide our brokenness, to put on a facade, to put on a smile on our face. So we walk into church and everything's gone to hell during the week. We walk into church and I'm like, I'm good. Everything's good. Until we can be open and honest about our problems, we can't really ever receive help. And here's the crazy thing. Like, Jesus already knows it all. Like, we try and hide it and not let it be come out. But Jesus already knows it all. He's waiting to see if we'll acknowledge what our actual need is. In fact, I had this friend. And I remember we had this conversation about alcohol, and and he just had a hard time seeing it. And he would have all these things, I'd say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And he's like, well, you know, uh, you don't understand what I do at work. My work is stressful. I'm working with people, I'm dealing with things, and, and so a drink at night, it helps me calm down. He says, you know, the Bible doesn't completely, like, forbid alcohol, so I mean, you know, that's another reason why I can do it. He says, you know, you know, I I have these long days and I have these physical problems. And and so if I make it to the end of the day, I deserve something. I've lasted all day long. I I deserve something. You know, all my friends and my family, well, they all drink. And so if I'm going to hang out with them and be with them, I've got to do it as well. You know, he needed to be told, he needed to be told to stop making excuses and admit there was a problem. And that's what some of us need to learn is we need to learn to stop making excuses and admit that we've got a problem. Some of us it's going to be alcohol. Some of us is going to be pornography, some of us going to be drugs. Some of us, we are addicted to technology. We're addicted to, to adrenaline rushes, our cell phone. We're addicted to the praise of other people. and the pride that that brings. The reality is, as we're addicted to these things, and as we're unwilling to be honest with where we are, we begin to sacrifice. We sacrifice our family, our health, and our, t- our integrity, and whatever it is, we sacrifice to, to hide the, the reality of where we are. And until we admit there's a need, we'll never experience change. Reality is nothing that you could reveal about yourself would come as a surprise to God. Nothing that you could reveal about yourself is not already covered by the blood of Christ. Nothing that you could reveal about yourself is something that God could not transform and God could not heal. Number one, we have to be honest about our need, honest with where we are. Number two, we have to want to be healed. As we approach the wonderful counsel, we actually have to want to be healed. In John chapter, five, John chapter 5, I love this story. Jesus comes upon a lame man, a guy who's been paralyzed forever. And he says to the man, do you want to be healed? And you're kind of like, well, duh. Like, 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 Jesus, why would you ask this question? What Jesus was saying is that many of us, we want the benefits of healing. Without going through the painful choices that accompany that healing, we want the benefits of it, but we don't want to do the hard work of getting there. We want God to clean up our messes, but we don't want to deal with the choices or the patterns that got us into the mess in the very first place. In fact, there's an old theologian, Augustine, and he has a story where he was wrestling with some sexual addiction, some sexual issues. And he writes, after he came to it. he writes, he said, I remember praying and say, God, God, would you make me pure just not yet? God, would you heal me just not yet? I'm not ready to do what it takes. Listen, do you really want to change? Do you really want to have God bring healing? Because if you do, number three, you have to do what God says to do. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, man, doesn't Jesus ask people to do some really weird things? He has some really weird things. In, in uh, uh, John chapter 9, there's a blind man. Remember what Jesus does? He, he spits on the ground. He makes mud. He wipes it in the guy's eye. He says, I want you to go across town. I want you to go to the aquatic center on 40th, and I want you to swim in that pool and wash off. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, Jesus, like, how come you didn't just snap your fingers and boom, now you got sight? But he made the guy walk across town to dip in a pool to wash off, right? Matthew chapter 17, Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I don't got money to pay my taxes. Remember what Jesus says to do? He says, all right, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go fishing. I want you to go fishing, and you're going to catch a fish, and you're going to reel that fish in, and then I want you to open that fish's mouth, because inside that fish is going to be a gold coin. And that gold coin is going to be the exact amount of money you need to pay your taxes. And I'm like, man, you're you're Jesus. Like, how come you couldn't just pull money out of a hat? Why'd you make him go and do all these things? Sometimes obedience doesn't make sense to us, right? Sometimes when we look at what Jesus asks of us, we're like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, Jesus tells us to forgive or forgive. Okay, but if I forgive, then who's going to avenge me? Who's going to defend my cause? doesn't make sense. Well, Jesus says, you know what? You're in a relationship, and it's become a sinful relationship. You've crossed some boundaries. You need to end that relationship. And, well, Jesus, I'm scared to be alone. And if, if I end that relationship, who's going to love me? Well, Jesus says, you know, you're supposed to obey your parents. You're supposed to obey your leaders. Well, you know, what if my leaders make bad choices? What if they cause me to do something I don't think is right? Just doesn't make sense. Jesus says to give sacrificially. Well, if I give sacrificially, how will I afford it? It doesn't make sense. Jesus says, move here, do this, step into that. Well, I'm kind of comfortable with where I am. Sometimes what Jesus asks us to do doesn't make sense. But the question for you is, do you trust him enough to do what he says? Do you trust him enough to do what he says? Do you really trust that he is the wonderful counselor? Do you trust that he knows your situation, that he knows your life, and he knows what is best for you? Do you trust him as a wonderful counselor? Do you believe that God can handle the issues in your life? You know what? Ahaz struggled believing that. If I'll be honest, there's times I struggle believing that. I think there's a lot of us in the room that sometimes we struggle believing that. But when the rubber hits the road, Sure, we believe God can save us, but do we believe that he is a wonderful counselor? Do we believe that he knows what's best for us? And are we willing to listen? In Mark chapter 10, there's a story about the rich young ruler who's seeking the way of salvation. One of the things I love about the story is in the text, it actually says that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him and wanted him to have eternal life. Remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said to him, listen, I love you. I want you to have eternal life. Here's what you need to do. Go and sell all that you have. Leave them and follow me. But the guy wouldn't. That sounded too crazy. He was wealthy. He can't sell all that he has. Think about what that guy lost. Think about all that he missed out on because he wasn't willing to do what God said to do. What are you missing out on? Because you are unwilling to obey. Freedom. Victory over sin. A relationship that could be healed. If you would just trust God, trust that he is good, trust that he is a wonderful counselor. The reality is there's people in here, man, we're interested in Jesus. We're interested in what he offers. But we've got convictions, convictions. We've got attitudes, we've got actions, we've got areas of life that no matter what he says, we've put a box around and said, I'm not surrendering this. You can have everything else, but you are not going to touch this area of my life. Listen, you will never experience the help of the wonderful counselor until you are willing to surrender. You will never experience the help of the wonderful counselor until you open yourself up to say, God, I'll do it. I want what you offer more than I want this little square of my life. The only deal that Jesus makes. The only deal that Jesus makes is he says, listen, I will give you all of myself. I will give you all of heaven. I will give you all of eternity. I will give you all of God in exchange for the surrender of all of you. Not a part of it, not some of it, but the surrender of all of you. Listen, the wonderful counselor, three things we need to wrestle with, three things you need to ask yourself this morning. Number one, have you been completely honest with him? Your struggle, your need, your no, your problem, have you been completely honest with him? God, here's what I've got. Here's what I'm struggling with. Number two, do you really want to be healed? Do you really want God's healing? Do you really want to go through the process of God bringing about change? And number three, are you ready to do whatever he says to do? Are you ready to say, God, whatever it is, I'm going to obey. I'll break off that relationship. I'll get some accountability from some people around me. I will surrender my desires and my wishes and my longings because, God, I know that you have something better for me. Are you willing to do whatever he says? Listen, he's a wonderful counselor. He will walk through a, us the middle of the the deepest pain, the worst problems. And I want you to know him as a wonderful counselor. Let's pray.